Welcome to Body Signals, a Cygnos podcast. I'm your host, Bill Tanser, Chief Data Scientist at Cygnos. This is Season 4, Episode 3, Glucose, Gut Health, and Your Microbiome. Hold the sardines, for me at least. On this episode, we have Registered Dietitian and Cygnos Metabolic Success Coach, Sarah Steele, to talk about gut health. We address topics including defining the microbiome, prebiotics and probiotics, the best way to take care of your gut, sugar and your microbiome, and Sarah reveals her top four tips with three bonus tips on the best way you can take care of your own gut health. This is a fascinating episode you don't want to miss. Now on to the show. And welcome back to Body Signals. First, we've got Estelle Lampella back as our co-host. Estelle, welcome back to Body Signals. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It's so great to have you back. And we have a special guest, which is Sarah Steele. Sarah is a registered dietitian. She's also one of our metabolic success coaches. So, Sarah, welcome to Body Signals. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you. You're a dietitian. And one of the questions I love to ask dietitians is, if I were to have you over for dinner, do I have to like clean my pantry and fridge <laughs> of all the bad foods? Is that, a, is that a problem that you have socially as a dietitian that people, when you go out to dinner, maybe don't want to eat bad foods around you? Well, I've even had people in the store, if they, if they were conversing with me, say, oh, don't look in my cart. <laughs> like, um, but no, I, um, I, once you get to know me, you know that I like to embrace enjoying lots of types of foods. And I just like to make sure that certain ones are only sometimes foods instead of every night if they're not, you know, the most healthy. So no, you don't have to clean anything out. <laughs> okay. So if you do come over and you look in my fridge, there are a lot of sometimes foods. <laughs> I'm just warning you. Okay. Now. Well, then I'll plan to come okay. over when I'm in the mood for a party. <laughs> awesome. Sarah's not invited awesome. to my so, house. <laughs> yeah. Do you, Estelle, do you have a lot of sometimes foods in your fridge and pantry? I think a lot of my sometimes foods are most of the time foods. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Sarah, we've been wanting to have Sarah on the show for a long time. And I was talking with her and asked her what she would like to discuss. And she, right off the bat, she mentioned a topic that we really haven't uh, gone into much detail. On, and that's gut health. So, Sarah, let's talk about gut health. And I've got a my first question for you because I think there is some confusion around this. What is the gut microbiome? Yeah, well, that could be a whole long thing, but I'll try to make it simple. Is um, you know we are more microorganisms than we are DNA as human beings. So actually, um, within our small and large intestine, we have what we call our gut microbiome, and in there are literally about a hundred trillion 
uh, microbes living in there. Um, also some viruses and other things. And most of them are friendly and they do a lot of amazing things. And so we really actually can't live without them. So um, even though they are not part of our DNA, there's more of them than we have in our actual DNA makeup, which is pretty darn amazing. So um, they just work hard to keep us healthy. They do things such as even make key vitamins that we then absorb like K2 and B12 and they break down some prebiotic fibers that we eat and they make them into short chain fatty acids. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. There's um, so many wonderful things that they're doing. And um, so we really, it is important to get to know um, what's going on with our gut. Absolutely. There's been a lot of discussion about things uh, uh, around the gut microbiome in the news lately. I've seen things about probiotics. But before Mm -hmm. we get there, when I started at Cygnos, I started reading about prebiotics. So uh, let's just talk a little bit about prebiotics. What exactly are they and as a dietitian, as one of our metabolic success coaches, do you feel it's something that we need to pay attention to? Yeah, it is a great question. For a long time, probiotics have been at least vaguely known about in the you know general public, but prebiotics weren't as uh, widely known about until more recently. But they're very key because a prebiotic is basically the food for our probiotics. So, um, mm. like I was saying, the, the bacteria are not part of us. They're living in us. It's a commensal um, situation. You know, they benefit from us and we benefit from them. Um, so we have to feed them. And so um, prebiotics are what feeds the gut bacteria. And so some examples are things like fibers from plants, um, flavonoids, you know, like the colors and the, all those um, nutrients from different colors of plants that we eat, like fruits and vegetables, and even things like resistant starch um, is a prebiotic, which some people who are listening to this might have heard about resistant starch because that's gaining some popularity. And that's uh, a starch that occurs in certain things like rice and potatoes and um, like oats and different things like that. And, um, you know, there's different ways we can increase the resistant starch in those foods too. And so it's really beneficial um, to feed them those things that they really love um, because then there's downstream effects. Once we feed them what they love, they can create things like butyrate and butyrate is a short chain fatty acid, for example, that helps um, with a lot of different things in our gut. But one downstream effect is actually modulating, um, helping with modulate um, glucose homeostasis. Just one example of one of the benefits. Wow. Uh, That's a lot of stuff. Um, But I also, I was reading up on prebiotics, uh, and I love that you mentioned resistant starch because we've got a whole episode on that. And I didn't connect the dots and realize that resistant starch was a prebiotic. But things like, you know, cooling your rice or potatoes overnight can produce resistant starch. I think we've also talked about things like uh, green banana powder, which is some of our staff here says it smells like feet, but I don't quite get that. (laughs) But they say that, you know, green banana powder is a great prebiotic. 
I, uh, yeah. I did a little research before the episode, and I found a list of some of the food items that have the highest amount of prebiotics. Yeah. Number one on the list was dandelion greens, which I don't know mm. if I've ever oh, actually had. Yeah, yeah, so dandelion greens. Uh, I, I imagine if you're at one of those really frou-frou grocery stores, <laughs> here we have like Erwan. Um, maybe even a whole foods might have some dandelion greens, but then, then Mm -hmm. down the list, there are some other things. Oatmeal. Okay. I swore I would never mention oatmeal again, but here we are like our 38th episode and I've mentioned oatmeal in every single one of them, but oatmeal is a prebiotic. And as you mentioned, Sarah, it seems like the, the microbiome is something that's very important to us. I think of it like, you know, a hundred trillion little pets that we have that we have to take care of and feed. So we want to make sure that we get the right prebiotics, not just probiotics. You mentioned dandelion greens, and those are considered a bitter green. And those, uh, all the things in the bitter category really do have a huge benefit on good bacteria. Hmm. That's good. I didn't. I didn't know there was a connection between the bitter green. That's really a good tip. And I imagine there are other bitter greens out there besides just dandelion green that might be a little bit more accessible, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the difference then between the the prebiotic and a probiotic? Oh yeah. So the probiotic is the live microorganism then that's living in your gut. And um, they're the ones who are, as I touched on before, doing all these really, really beneficial um, things in our body, like the, you know, creating the vitamins, etc. And so um, they are um, really um, important to have a, a wide variety of them too. So by feeding them with all these different prebiotics, like you were mentioning, all those really great ones, um, you'll keep them alive and keep them happy in a wide variety in your gut. Okay. Got so both, both important. Now, when it comes to probiotics, I don't know if either of you, Estelle or Sarah, have had this experience, but I was at the mm-hmm. doctor and after taking some antibiotics, I think he said, you need to go take a probiotic. They always so tell then you I that. Got my, yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's like a common thing. But then... Here's where it gets a little dicey is I get myself to Whole Foods and I stand before what I refer to as a wall of probiotic. And it's almost like going to a a bar where they've got their top shelf liquor and the well brands at the bottom. So there's stuff at the Whole Foods on the top shelf that's like 120 a bottle. And it's it seems to all correlate with the amount of of different Biotics, for lack of a better word, I guess, that they claim to have, like from like trillions to billions to, if you don't have a lot to spend, maybe just millions. <laughs> My question for you, Sarah, is how do you how do you decide if you're going to take a probiotic, maybe to mm-hmm. supplement your mic your microbiome? How, how do you decide? Oh, that's a really great question. And um, I will say that, um, so probiotics are valuable. um, And I will say that it's interesting that this has really been an area of where research has blown up in the past years, because just looking back for context, back in the year 2000, there were only about 200 research articles on probiotics. And in 2021, there were 5,000. So Mm. it's 
really gained a lot of interest, which is for good reason. But during all of that time, what, so as we go, as you know, practitioners, we're just learning as we go because there's always more research coming out. And so what we knew five years ago might not be quite so accurate now when it comes to probiotics, um, because there's just better and better information now. Um, so it is tricky because realistically you would want to, um, have, uh, find a practitioner who can customize that experience for you since there are strains. Now we know that we can use to target certain issues, but if you are just going, because like your example is a perfect one, that's most common probably for people is they took antibiotics. So now, yes, it would be great to take a general probiotic to kind of boost your, um, gut microbiome back up. Um, so when it comes to choosing one, it's still, um, there isn't like a hard and fast way to choose, um, a, a general one, but there is, um, you know, things like eating, uh, fermented foods are all, is also very helpful, like sauerkraut and kimchi and naturally fermented things like that. And kefir, for example, or some people say kefir. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that. And, um, those are some great ways to just generally repopulate. Or just taking, um, I would say, anything from Whole Foods is going to be a good quality. So you don't have to get the $100 one. Those are probably also anyway more targeted um, that you would be choosing and selecting based on a practitioner telling you what to select. Uh, but there is um, some you know, resources online, too, that we can put in the show notes, like a website for um, finding a good probiotic that's best for you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We could definitely put that in the show notes. But you mentioned something I think is really interesting is it feels like there's two camps, at least in my family. I know there's there's two camps. There's the go get the pill bottle that has pro- probably, you know, not not go complete top shelf at $100 a bottle, but get like a something in the middle yeah. uh, versus the other camp, which is just get your uh, probiotics naturally by eating things like kimchi or sauerkraut. You mentioned kefir. There's a yeah. number of things, yogurt. Um, I wonder though, if you go to the natural camp, uh, I wonder how much of a diversity you're getting because there's a lot of different species. I was reading before, um, before we recorded this episode that there's somewhere between 500 and a thousand species of yeah. different microbiota i hope i'm using that word correctly in our gut um so yeah some of these these pill bottles that you see at either the the nutrition store the vitamin shop or whole foods they list all sorts of different um species of of microbiota so uh i wonder if you're going to get the same um the same breadth of, of different bacteria as you would if you would have buy one of those pill bottles? Well, one way to look at that is um, depending on where you're starting from. So if you're starting from like, let's say having to take some heavy duty antibiotics for a long stretch of time where you've really wiped out a lot of good bacteria, mm-hmm. um, I would say, yes, um, you know, definitely take some um, pills versus just the foods. Um, but also one way to look at it is, um, taking a probiotic for, let's say, even just maintenance um, isn't going to rectify things if you haven't already been trying to keep your diversity and the health of your gut 
um, bacteria happy by eating a rainbow of colors of fruits and vegetables every day. And so if you're not feeding them properly and keeping them alive in the balance of, you know, the, the proper balance, then uh, just taking a, a pill isn't going to solve all of that. So it, it really is multi, um, factorial. And so, um, so, but you could, you know, rely just on the foods. If you are already taking care of everything, you're eating those, um, you know, lots of colors of fruits and vegetables and these different sources of the prebiotics for them. Cause then you'll be keeping the diversity happy and in balance. Um, but like, yeah, with the pro, uh, with the antibiotic use, which is, you know, common, um, for people to take it, uh, antibiotics for different reasons. So then yes, you would want to take a pill for at least a while. So I've, uh, to bring this back to what a lot of listeners are interested in, which is their, their glucose levels, their nutrition habits and their microbiome. I was just reading in a study uh, it was a study done at Yale, and it was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, I believe. And it talked about fructose or ingesting sugars and how that can affect your microbiome. And this is like a pretty recent study where they found that if you ate a lot of um, of sugar in the form of fructose for this one study, while we had previously assumed that that sugar would be absorbed in the intestines. What this study found was that it actually, a lot of sugar in the form of fructose made it all the way down to the gut and actually disrupted some of the proteins that the uh, the microbiome uh, liked to produce. There's one called rock, and it actually disrupted the production of that protein. So it seems like limiting... Um, uh, additional sugars, added sugars from your diet might actually help your your microbiome as well. Yeah, that's a really great study, and it is hard to hear for all of us. Even if you know, I love eating healthy food, but I still like to eat sugar. So, um, it is a strong reminder for us just how impactful what we're eating really is on our health, because mm-hmm. that sugar, as you showed in that study, is really having a detrimental effect, um, downstream. Um, so there are other things too, when we look at our gut that relay back to things like, um, satiety and glucose management and weight management, you know, these are all things we're really focusing on in Cygnos. So, um, you know, one topic that is big in the media right now is GLP one because of the, um, weight loss drugs that are, um, now really popular on the marketplace and they work. With these the these are the drugs that you inject like into your stomach to yeah. help with satiety. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they're getting a lot of press lately for one reason or another. Um, and so the, what, what they're acting on is this it's GLP one is the glucagon like peptide one, and it's a hormone that's produced in the gut actually in the small intestine. And so it acts on the beta cells in the pancreas, which are the ones that produce insulin and um, it helps to enhance that glucose um, stimulation of insulin secretion. And so ultimately, it's helping with promoting satiety, slowing gastric emptying. Um, and so um, it's, you know, helping that work better in people that it's not working so well for. But there are, you know, we don't have to all rush and get any injections. We can work on keeping our gut microbiome happy so that this whole interplay is working well so that GLP-1, for example, can be produced in the adequate amount so that we can have all these wonderful benefits from it. 
to help us feel full uh, when we should feel full from eating and all those other things. Um, so things like uh, studies are showing uh, intake of proteins and phytochemicals help stimulate GLP-1. So there are lots of ways to, you know, go about that without having to inject a medication if, um, you know, there's always going to be an exception why someone would need a medication, but there's lots of ways to go around it as well. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to do a whole episode on that particular topic because I know a yes. lot of listeners have asked, and, and we see this in the, the private Facebook group as well. Yes. So it is a drug that has been approved for use in type 2 diabetics, but I know that a lot of people, especially here, I, I hear a lot of talk about it in Southern California, people using those drugs just to lose uh, some extra pounds that people that Mm -hmm. may not be type two diabetics are getting their doctors to write these prescriptions off label. So I I know there's, there's a whole episode there that we would love to talk about. Um, So getting back to the, the microbiome, I, I just recently saw a commercial for a specific probiotic that I tried. Didn't do anything for, for me, but I know that there are more and more there are probiotics that's that are being marketed as those that have strains of bacteria that actually help with glucose regulation. I, I wonder if you guys had seen these or tried these. Um, I haven't tried any of the ones specifically targeted for a glucose regulation, but I know what you mean. I've been seeing more and more talk of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I the one I did that I saw recently was um, called. Well, it was, it was under Pendulum. I don't know what the, I forget what the actual um, product was, but Pendulum was the brand. But I didn't try it partly because of the cost. It's very high cost for that one. So, um, you know, that is something that we have to be mindful of is like, what's the cost benefit analysis on things like that? And do they really work? And I think in some cases they do help. Um, it, it might be a matter of um, is someone deficient or, you know, in the, what, what it's trying to promote. So mm-hmm. if they're not already, then it might not show much of a difference, if any. And so um, that's why it really is so great to try to work with a skilled practitioner to help you. That way, even though the product might cost a lot, if it really is going to help you, it's worth the investment. But if, you, if, <laughs> if it's um, not the right one for you, you won't waste your money on it. Yeah, you know, I uh, I did waste some money on it. I did three months of one of those probiotics and didn't see any difference. Nothing? No, nothing, nothing at all. But I, I, I'm, I'm not in the camp that then says, well, this is just a waste of money for everyone. I think one thing that Cygnos has taught me is that everyone reacts to food and sleep and stress differently. Mm-hmm. And I think Sarah makes a great point here, which is, you know, perhaps I'm not deficient in that specific strain of mm-hmm. microbiome. So maybe that's why I didn't see a difference. Maybe some people will see a difference. That's the great thing about Cygnus is you could try something like this. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it becomes more affordable, but you could take one of these bi- uh, probiotics that has a strain that's supposed to help with glucose control and see if it actually works for you rather than just going in blind and and in the end, not really having any way of measuring whether or not something's working. And anybody just tuning in or doesn't know Bill very well, he takes his experiments very seriously. (laughs) 
So he definitely. Oh, I do. Yeah, he definitely noted if there was a difference or not. So definitely was not one for him. <laughs> yes. So that one was in the no column, but I, I'm not willing to say it's a no for everybody. I think it might work for some. And I think yeah. Sarah kind of laid out the reason why. So I was just going to add that it's interesting that, um, you know, when we're talking about um, glucose uh, regulation, um, something that's a l- somewhat less uh, direct but still important is the hormone that we call cholecystokinin or CCK is also produced in our gut. And it has a key role in our feeling for satiety or fullness. And it even helps with um, signaling for leptin, which is the one that people have probably heard of more. Mm-hmm. is um, to help us feel fuller or um, the satiety after we eat. And so um, it just shows how if these, you know, if we don't take care of our gut microbiome and things are in dysbiosis down there, then all these things can't work properly. And then it has these uh, other effects that, um, you know, we might not otherwise understand why can't I get full or why, you know, all these things. So it's really, really interesting to see the connection there. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's amazing the role that the microbiome plays in our health. And you had mentioned something, Sarah, as we were prepping for this episode that you said, you know, people call the microbiome or our, our gut, I think you said specifically, our gut is our second brain. Yeah, why, I've heard that so do, many times what, what, too. Yeah, I, I don't even know what that really means. Maybe you could uh, shed some light, Sarah. Yeah, um, it is kind of a funny thing to say, but um, it has become more and more understood that it really, really is. Um, it is this two-way biochemical signaling between our CNS and our GI tract, so the central nervous system, you know, starting up at the brainstem and down to the GI tract. Um, there's all this signaling that is t- back and forth between the two, and it's um, there's, a, I mean, you could do a whole, you know, episode just on that, but to briefly point to a couple of things, um, there's a large nerve called the vagus nerve that runs all the way from the brain to our colon. And it's involved with things like heart rate and GI peristalsis and a lot of other things. Um, you know, so there's a big connection there. Um, and our gut bacteria, um, is sorry about that. <laughs> um, our gut bacteria also influences the brain by releasing cytokines, um, neurochemicals, and really interesting. Ninety-five percent of our serotonin is produced in the gut, so you see why there's a huge influence on mood and gut functioning um, from the gut. From what all the things it's doing, it's not everything we used to think was coming from our brain and sort of this top down. Um, effect, but really it is um, almost the other way around. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing to realize just how important, what an important function the the gut and the microbiome play. Um, yeah, and I, I I've seen a lot of studies coming out that are establishing more and more uh, things that we didn't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a fun fact for you. Okay. I I went deep into the rabbit hole uh, researching for this episode uh, because I just, once I got uh, Sarah's outline of what she wanted to talk about, I just wanted to gather some more information. And it just, everything I, I researched just kind of drew me in a little bit more. Yeah. I We've talked a lot on the show about uh, our circadian rhythm. 
Mm-hmm. I uh, found a couple of studies that showed that circadian rhythms doesn't, it just doesn't happen in the brain. All of our organs have their own circadian rhythm. And it even yeah. goes down to the cellular level that yeah. a lot of these microbiota, they have their own circadian rhythm, each of them. Yeah. And it's so amazing. It's really cool. It's so amazing. And one of the studies I found was was probing the uh, issue that happens when the circadian rhythm of your microbiome gets out of sync with your body's circadian rhythm or the host circadian rhythm can lead to all sorts of things like inflammation and um, all sorts of problems with the gut. So um, how, how, maybe talk to us a little bit about how inflammation in the gut affects the whole body. Yeah. So, um, inflammation. So when the gut is in what we call dysbiosis, meaning, you know, there's a out of balance, whether the bacteria that we call like the good guys, if they're dwindling for whatever reason, you know, we're not eating enough good prebiotics or we're eating too much sugar or, you know, all kinds of different, um, environmental toxins and all these things can come in there and screw them up. Um, and then maybe the ones that, um, are less beneficial when they're out of balance, they're growing to have too many quantity of them. And so there's this whole mix up of balance. That's what we call dysbiosis. And it's sort of like you're letting your weeds grow up in the garden and your flowers are getting smothered out. Um, Mm. and so, um, then that really does actually cause uh, inflammation in the gut, which is actually affects the entire body. And so um, we're finding more and more in the research things like even um, that things like cardiovascular disease or now we're seeing is associated with uh, the inflammation and dysbiosis in the gut. So it really is um, affecting our whole body more than we ever realized in the past. Wow. So, Sarah, I, I think you've really established for us how important it is to um, to th- take care of our gut, to take care of our microbiome, to feed them with, with prebiotics, supplement them at times with probiotics. But I, I wonder, this is my favorite part of the show, I think the listeners as well, you have some top tips for us for things that we can do for our gut health. And I would love for you to just go through those now. Sure. I'll be noting them all because I feel like <laughs> I don't know anything about it. And this episode has really just like shown so much light um, on how yeah, this, it is. this has been such a fascinating episode because uh, there's things I just don't know about. I've got all sorts of notes I've been jotting down as Sarah's been talking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad. So, yeah, I, I'm taking notes for these tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is my, my passion to talk about this because um, it just hasn't been um, as widely looked at in the past, like if you think historically speaking for research in medicine and nutrition hasn't been attended to until what is relatively recent history. So there is even more that we still don't know, but thank goodness we've learned a lot so far. Um, so some of my tips are things like, um, you know, we were talking about just eat the rainbow when it comes to fruits and veggies, trying to have that variety. And of course, as much quantity as you can possibly fit in each day with your veggies, um, because that way you're helping all those different microbes and those different strains, um, thrive and stay in balance. So that is, um, go ahead. That's a great tip. So eating the rainbow, I, I had heard from another podcaster, I think it was an MD, 
that he was recommending that um, you should eat a variety of about 12 different fruits and vegetables per day. Have you heard per that? Day? If not, I'm, I'm, <laughs> per day, you should try and like vary it around that much. I wonder if there's like, oh. other than eating the rainbow, is there a target, Sarah, that we, we should be striving for in terms of well, the variety of food that we're getting? I mean, so yes, 12 would be great. And also 12 to 15 to 18 servings of vegetables as well would be great. Um, and think of a serving as roughly your fist, right? But to get back to reality, um, you know, I know that's not very doable for most people, whether it's that they're not, um, they're too busy or they're not inclined to eat that many plants or whatever, you know, so uh, they just don't know how to cook very well. So they don't like eating them. Um, so that would be a great goal, but in, you know, if you're going for good, better, best, then maybe go for, <laughs> uh, you know, five different types of veggies a day. Even that probably sounds like a lot for some people, but, um, really challenging yourself when you go to the grocery store or the farmer's market. I like to tell people if you can try one new vegetable, um, even if it's like every other week, out, imagine like one that you haven't tried before or that you forgot about and you haven't eaten in a long time and you haven't been in, having in your rotation, then by the end of the year, you'll have a large, a larger repertoire of veggies that you're ready to, you know, that you understand how to cook them. You know how to make them in, you know, some way that you enjoy because <laughs> we really knew we do need to enjoy our food. Um, then that way you can start expanding your repertoire. I'm going to go to the grocery store after this. There's so many vegetables I haven't eaten. (laughs) And if I get get your point, Sarah, it's not just um, to increase the amount of vegetables in your diet. It's also it increases the diversity of your microbiome. Yeah. Because each of these different fruits and vegetables might have a different natural microbiome of its own that you then get when you ingest that food. Right. They're each, and and they're the food, remember the prebiotic food, and they each offer maybe a a different, so, um, aspect of, um, you know, the prebiotic, um, different types of fiber, um, the different flavonoids, all those different things that each one Mm -hmm. has, uh, slightly different than the other, you know, to, to really give that benefit. Great. Okay. So that's, that's a great tip. Tip number one, eat the rainbow. Yeah. Yes. And, um, so another one is to, um, do some, to intermittent fast most days. And I want to explain what I mean by that. Cause that term is used so loosely these days. And what I mean by that is simply just to try to aim for a minimum of 12 hours between when you last eat at night and when you first eat in the morning. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're already well versed in intermittent fasting and you do more than 12 hours, great. But if this is a new concept, um, it's really not necessary to do more than 12 hours for most people to still get a benefit. Um, you know, I read some research that 13.5 hours was like the sweet spot. And after that more wasn't necessarily better. Um, but even 12 hours. Um, and the reason why that helps is because, um, when you're not eating, then you have that, what we call like rest and digest and all those functions in our cells. So giving your body a chance to clear things up and, um, you know, there's this thing called the migrating motor complex, and that is this uh, movement um, through your um, small intestine and large intestine and your, your, sorry, your stomach and your small intestine. And it works when you're fasting, when you're not eating. And so it's usually when we're sleeping, you know, and it 
moves everything that peristalsis you've heard that word where the um your your gi tract is moving and moving things down from your stomach down to your small intestine down to your colon to be excreted then so all that waste can come out so that you're not just getting clogged up so to speak and so things even like your uh, mitochondria in your cells you know that's the power center in your cell is the turnover making sure your cells are replicating properly and not um, getting sick, so to speak, which is, you know, what cancer is, right? So like all those cleanup crew stuff is mm. happening when we're not eating. <laughs> and so we need to give our body that chance to rest. And so you d- really don't need to be, you know, a rock star with it. 12 hours is plenty for all of that to happen. Yes, I, I know I'm, I'm going to get some emails from the intermittent fasting folks. So I, I think technically what we're talking about is time-restricted eating here. Yes. So we're yes. not telling you fast for days, but you give yourself a 12-hour window. That kind of dovetails nicely into that research I was telling you about uh, with the um, circadian rhythm, that one of the suggestions that they made was no late-night eating. So for you late night eaters out there, another reason for why you might want to take Sarah's second tip of a time restricted eating window of at least 12 hours is that when you eat late at night, that's one of the things that can throw off the uh, circadian rhythm of the microbiome and Mm -hmm. cause it to be out of sync with the host. So I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah, that's a great tie in there, actually. Um, So the third thing I will say is to take omega-3s. And usually the easiest way is just to get a good quality fish oil. Or my favorite way to get them is to eat sardines. But (laughs) I know that. Just just to let the the listeners know that Sarah within our company is famous, along with a few (laughs) others, for her love of sardines, which I don't know. That's a food item that sends me running for the hills. She packs um, them wherever she goes. <laughs> wherever yeah, I she do, goes. I put them in my suitcase because it's easy. They're in a can. They won't spoil. And if I find myself really hungry somewhere and I don't have a you know access to quick, healthy food, I can eat those. But the reason they're so um, such a superfood is that they are um, you know packed with omega threes. They are packed with protein. They're very easy to digest. Easy on the stomach. Um, you know, if someone's having GI distress, that's a good food. Um, but yeah, for those of you who are not interested in sardines, um, then just taking a fish oil supplement. Um, omega threes have you know been researched. you know, over and over and over. And it just, the consensus in the, in the literature is that it's beneficial. So, uh, that's worth, worth including. Um, and then exercise actually helps uh, modulate our microbiome too, amazingly. So, um, you know, exercise is beneficial for so many things. So another reason for you to, you know, get a good, uh, strength training regimen going and some mild to moderate cardio, um, or whatever exercise you love best. Um, that's a great reason to include it. Great. So we got four tips here. So we've got eating the rainbow, that variety is of fruits and vegetables, the time restricted eating window, 12 hours, uh, is, is optimal according to Sarah. Then we've got the omega threes and finally movement. So get up, do some resistance training, do walks after meals, uh, do some light to moderate cardio. I think those are all great suggestions. And a couple quick, uh, well, three more I can just say quickly because I think they're worth mentioning. Well, one of them really just ties in with the 
um, time restricted eating is don't snack between meals. So try to eat enough protein and vegetables and everything in your balanced meal that you are not hungry between meals. So you don't have to snack because, uh, a smaller version of all that cleanup crew stuff is happening between meals. Um, also it's, um, uh, helping your, um, your body not, um, have to overuse insulin when you're not, um, eating all the time. So, you know, that's all always a benefit. And then stress management is really important because stress alone can actually cause leaky gut, which we didn't really talk about, mm. but that term is, uh, referring to like, uh, loosening of the tight junctions in our, our, our gut cell wall, and then things can pass through that shouldn't be passing through. And that's where you get all the things like inflammation, autoimmune, on and on. That's a whole nother topic, but it's, it's a problem. So even stress can, um, contribute to that. So man, and, and we've seen, you know, on our CGM, we've noted that we can see stress even on our glucose graph. So it really mm-hmm. is important to find whatever is the most meaningful way for you to manage your stress. Um, and then last one is sleep. So sleep is our friend for weight loss, for insulin management, for mood and, like we were talking about back to the circadian, um, rhythmicity of the, um, of the, um, gut microbiome microbes. Yes, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for all these helpful tips and for really, uh, shedding the light on, uh, the microbiome and the gut for us, because I know this is a topic we haven't really gone in depth on before. And so glad that we had the opportunity to talk with you and learn more about it. Yeah, absolutely. It was really fun to cover these. And um, I hope people found something new that they hadn't heard before and hopefully something to inspire them to give a little more attention to tending that garden. <laughs> so many yes, great I know. Uh, yeah, Estelle and I have got a lot of homework to do. I, I know I'm going to go get a big salad because that's the easiest way <laughs> for me to to check off tip number one, that uh, eating the rainbow is I can put seven, eight different veggies and things and that uh, I'll go buy some sardines in honor of Sarah (laughs) I will not be buying sardines (laughs) I will I will go with the pill form I think Estelle great having you back as our co-host thank you so much and Sarah again thanks so much it was uh, it was a great having you on the show thank you for having me Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body Signals. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to our feed. Also, please share this episode with your friends. For those of you who are not yet Signos members, go to Signos.com, S-I-G-N-O-S.com, and use the code BODYSIGNALS, all one word, to get your 15% discount on Signos. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Body Signals.